Alan Blackman, good morning to you. Good morning, Catherine. How are we? I'm good, but that old brain box, Einstein's been proved right again. I know, it's pretty amazing. You know, he was making all his predictions around 100 years ago, and um, every year that follows, it seems that um, his predictions are being um, confirmed. Before we get into that, you have to explain the relationship between matter and antimatter again. I think you explained it brilliantly last time, and I know they kind of... It's important, and explain why. It is, yeah. Um, so you're right. I think last time I was on, we were talking about antimatter as well. So we can think of antimatter as being the sort of the opposite of matter. Everything is made up of atoms, as we chemists like to say, and atoms are made up of protons, neutrons, and electrons. And it just so happens that there are antiprotons and antineutrons and antielectrons, which are called positrons, and they are what we call antimatter. And um, we're not going to get into too much detail about what it is and why it is and everything, but way back at the Big Bang, um, there were seemingly equal amounts of matter and antimatter made. Now, the thing with matter and antimatter is that when they get together, they annihilate each other. And um, so, obviously, we can't sort of store antimatter anywhere on the planet because um, as soon as it interacts with matter, it's gone. And um, within about the first second of the Big Bang, all the antimatter was gone, and matter won the battle. So that is why the universe is made up of matter and not antimatter. Having said that, we can still make antimatter. And um, Einstein was aware of uh, the potential existence of antimatter, and he predicted that Antimatter should be affected by gravity in the same way that matter is. In other words, antimatter should fall to Earth, just like matter does. Now, this had been brought into question by some people uh, recently, and they were saying, well, you know, this is antimatter. Uh, Maybe it uh, reacts oppositely to matter in gravity, and maybe it might fall upwards. So, an experiment was born, and this experiment was done at the good old Super Collider Particle Accelerator at CERN, uh, just underneath Geneva. And so what they did was first they had to make (laughs) some antimatter, and um, that's not an uh, easy matter, sorry. Um, <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm on it. Um, but uh, they managed to do that. So what they do is they make some antiprotons and they make some anti-electrons or positrons. They put them together to make anti-hydrogen atoms. And this is obviously a difficult thing to do because it's antimatter, so they have to keep these contained in a big old magnetic field. And... Long story short, what they managed to do was to show that, lo and behold, the antimatter fell to Earth just like matter does. So, Einstein proven correct again. However, the question now becomes, right, so both matter and antimatter are affected the same way by gravity in terms of the direction that they fall, but do they fall at the same rate? So that's going to be the big next experiment that's going to be done on this. But, you know, Einstein, right, yet again. Amazing. Um, I'm still getting my head around soon having an antimatter factory, but that's these are our times. <laughs> well, again, antimatter is not as, as um, sort of unusual as you might think. If anybody out there has had a PET scan, for example... PET stands for positron emission tomography. A positron is an anti-electron. And um, what happens is that you get injected with uh, a material that contains 
uh, or that that decays by positron decay. Uh, when a positron gets out, it interacts with matter and annihilates the matter, and then you get gamma rays, and that's what uh, you take a photo of, essentially. So you've got a gamma ray camera in a positron emission tomography setup. And so, the argument or the hypothesis for gravity affecting or for antimatter responding differently is simply that it is the inverse of matter yeah, in essentially. a chemical yeah. sense. Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. But so, then gravity's its own thing. Well, look, let's let's be brutally honest. We really don't know what gravity is, really. Um, <laughs> um, it's quite you know, common. <laughs> it, it is very common, but, but people don't really know how it's mediated. There are these supposed particles called gravitons that may or may not exist and that mediate this force that we call gravity but we really don't know so there's still there's still a Nobel Prize out there for there somebody is. he for said you. segueing into the next for one. you <laughs> let's talk about the medicine prize first yep Surely. Hey, this is a great week to be Hungarian because we have um, had the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine and Physics and Hungarians have won both of those so that's uh, pretty cool, I think. And, you know, the smart money's on Viktor Orban to win the, you know, the Nobel Peace Prize now, obviously. But um, physiology or medicine, okay, mRNA. Now, there's something that probably everybody had never heard of until we got hit with COVID. And then all of a sudden, mRNA vaccines made big, big news. And uh, the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine has been awarded to Catalin uh, Carico and Drew Weissman uh, for their discoveries concerning nucleoside-based modifications that enabled the development of effective mRNA vaccines against COVID-19. And this is an amazingly deserved prize. Um, so, quick background, vaccination... Way back in the days of Jenner, uh, he was the first person to find that you could vaccinate against smallpox by injecting a less lethal form of smallpox called cowpox. And then that gets the uh, body's uh, immune response all going and it can fight the infection. Okay, So things like polio, measles and stuff like that. So you're essentially injecting um, sort of dead or weakened viral material in order to get your immune system uh, up to scratch. Now, obviously, that's it's not necessarily ideal. And so the Hungarian um, phys- uh, physiologist, Catalin uh, uh, Kariko, she thought, why can't we use um, RNA, and in particular mRNA, messenger RNA, to essentially carry this viral information. So we don't actually have to inject the virus itself. We can use mRNA as as essentially a carrier of the information, and then that will promote the production of particular proteins that then get your immune system going, etc., etc., etc. Right. So what they did was to make um, mRNA in the lab, and um, they were basically testing out whether this could work or not. And what they found was that with the stuff that they made in the lab, every time they injected it, the body would recognize it as a foreign substance. And so, therefore, um, you'd get inflammation and stuff like that. So this was looking to be pretty hopeless. But the thing that won them the Nobel Prize was that they realized that the mRNA from mammalian cells didn't do this. And very often in mammalian cells, the RNA gets modified. And in particular, those of you who can remember your biology from school one of the bases in RNA gets modified. And so they thought, aha, okay, let's try making our RNA with this modification of these bases. 
they did that. They then found that uh, not only did the body not reject it, but in fact the mRNA was longer lived in the body. It was very, very effective and essentially was acting as uh, the vaccine. So it was getting the body's own defences ready and going to fight uh, whatever the virus was. And um, so they published these results in the year 2005 The paper was rejected by nature, and it was rejected by science, and it was rejected by cell. So those are sort of the big three (laughs) journals that you would first go to. Um, And they eventually got it published uh, in a journal called Immunity, and that was the start of mRNA vaccines, essentially. So against COVID, against SARS, against Zika virus. And look, these two, let's be honest, they've saved millions of lives. So this is a thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly deserved uh, Nobel Prize. It's fantastic. All right. Now, the other one, has it come out overnight? Is it the Physics Prize? Indeed, yes. This came out overnight. And again, another Hungarian involved. So, uh, And only the fifth woman to win the Physics Nobel Prize. Um, and three of those have come in the last six years, which I think <laughs> says a lot. So this was awarded to Pierre Agostini, uh, Frank Krauss, and Anne Louillet, uh, the first and the last French and the second Hungarian. And they won it for, quote, experimental methods that generate atosecond pulses of light for the study of electron dynamics and matter. So we are talking extraordinarily short periods of time here. Um, so, an attosecond, what you may ask is an attosecond. Well, we, we, we're okay with things like milliseconds, which is a thousandth of a second, or a microsecond, which is a millionth of a second. An attosecond is 10 to the minus 18 of a second, okay? Which is a, a ridiculously small number that we can't comprehend, okay? So to put it into context... There's more attoseconds in one second than there have been seconds in the universe. Oh, no. Well, how, look, you've got one minute. We've got to give you the one-minute challenge. How did the scientists do this? <laughs> um, the, how did they do it? Okay, they were – well, actually, it's a, it's a variety of methods that we really haven't got time to go Is it all into, maths, basically? Well, no, it's, it's, it's all sort of um, essentially doing amazing uh, lab work. Essentially, so incredible experiments, lots of lasers, etc., etc., etc. And why are they doing this? Why do they want really, really short, essentially pulses of light? Why would they want that? It's because they can then study very, 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 very fast processes. So, um, for example, the speed of light: three hundred million meters per second. One attosecond light travels 0.3 of a nanometer. Okay, so we're talking really, really, really short periods of time, but it allows us to figure out what electrons are doing, and electrons are the fundamentals of chemistry, so this is a really, really important prize. Well, and you're out of attoseconds, my friend. <laughs> about several billion of them already. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, okay. Alan Blackman. Thanks, everyone, for your company today. That's 9 to noon for Wednesday.